Hi friends, and welcome to The Spirit Scoop with Michelle. Michelle is just your typical grounded tourist, Canadian loving girl who loves everything spiritual. Michelle is a spiritual medium, a Reiki master, and an angel reader. Get ready each week to dive into Michelle's own lived experiences, spiritual guidance and tips, awesome guests, and lots and lots of spirits, of course. Together, we'll feel inspired. We may learn something new. We'll learn to trust in spirit. And don't be surprised if you have a lot of OMG moments. So now's your time to grab a cup of tea, get comfortable, and we're about to start. Here's your host, Michelle Lindsay. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Spirit Scoop. So we are now in Scorpio season. I don't know if you guys get excited for Scorpio season or if you're feeling the complete opposite, but I feel like anything can happen in Scorpio season for some reason. Just a reminder before we get into today's episode, if you are wanting to attend our full moon circle, uh, my friend Debris and I are hosting an online circle on October 28th at 5 p.m. PST time and 8 p.m. Eastern time. So with the full moon circle, Brie will be talking about the current energies and what's going on and what's to what to expect. And we'll be finishing with a meditation sound bath from myself, just clearing out, releasing energies, and also using the energy around us into an experience in the sound bath. This week has been pretty mellow, hasn't been too crazy, just um, getting things together with our rental property, and so we got to spend a few nights out of the city, which was really nice, and I got to do a couple of cold plunges in the lake. There's something different about cold plunging in the lake than the ocean. I don't know what it is. I just feel, I just, I, and as soon as I'm anywhere close to a lake, I'm like, I need to jump in. It's, it just feels so clean and so fresh. But with today's episode, I had so many questions. Michael and I joked about me having 7,000 questions prepared for today (laughs) because I just, I prepared so many things. I was like, you know what? My brain is like, ask him this, ask him this. Dreams have always been so fascinating for me because I find that's where my spiritual journey actually started as well is through dreams. And that's how I had that like connection early on with spirit. And I, you know, I had not visitation dreams from like a past loved one, but I've had spirits visit me in my dreams and show me things of how they passed and just trying to tell me their story and, you know, waking up out of a dream and I would see a spirit standing right beside me. And there's stories of that in my earlier episodes, which I labeled them from my first episode. I labeled them all the way up to number 10, hoping people will listen to them in order because my story unfolds in the very beginning of this podcast. But all the other episodes, you don't have to really listen in order. But I've had spirits in my room. I thought somebody broke in because they literally look like a human. Like they literally look like a person. They don't have any orbs around them or anything like that. I've had nightmares and woken up and seen not a friendly spirit in in my room as well, um, which I also talked about in the podcast. 
so a lot of my spiritual stories from the very, very beginning all started with dreams. And I, you know, I used to astral travel as a kid, I remember. There are also stories about that in my other episodes about meeting Archangel Michael and um, just like meeting Ascended Masters. And I didn't even know like what I was doing as a child. I didn't know like, how did I get here? How am I talking to Archangel Michael? I have no idea, but I'm looking down and I can see my body and I know I'm sleeping, but I know I'm awake. Like I'm wide awake talking to this angel. So it's like, I don't even know how I got there. And now that I had those experiences and now that I want them more, I struggle. I'm like, I can't create that. I don't know how it happened to me back then. I can't really reenact it. So that's super interesting. Um, but I definitely did had a lot of flying dreams. Um, I love to fly. Um, flying is so fun. I'll share a trick with you guys. Okay. I remembered that I used to do this and I came up with it on my own. It's not something that I remember to do anymore. I have to really get back into the habit of doing it again, because then maybe I can get back into my lucid dreaming states. What I used to do back then, so what I came up with on my own was while I was awake in the daytime, in the morning, in the nighttime, while I took a shower, while I went to the toilet, while I cooked dinner, I would stop and ask myself, wait, am I dreaming right now? Wait, am I dreaming right now? Wait, am I dreaming right now? And I would keep saying that over and over and over and over. And what I noticed was once I was in that dream state, because I kept saying that saying in my waking life, I noticed in my dream life, I would say that, wait, am I dreaming right now? And then that's opened up my awareness and I go, I look around and I go, yeah, wow, I am dreaming right now. And that's kind of how I snapped myself into it. Like, hey, pay attention. You're dreaming right now. Appreciate it. Look around you. Um, lucid dreaming. Like, I don't know if, if if you have experienced it before, but when you know that you're dreaming, you know that like everything that unfolds in your dream is like in your control. So I would start imagining things and it would start creating and popping up in my dreams. And I literally were like, was like in my dreams thinking, okay, we're going to have fun tonight. Like I imagine there was like a slide and I imagine like I was just jumping over street poles. And also that's when I learned how to fly in my dreams because I realized I create my own dreams. I'm in complete control. So like I said, in my Sean Leonard's podcast, when um, about moving my arms like a bird, I would do that. Once I was conscious, conscious that I was dreaming, I would flap my arms like a bird, imagining that that was going to help me fly. And it did, but it took practice. It took practice. I would only get so high off my feet. But I also had this recurring, recurring lucid dream that I would try to get over the telephone pole. And that was like a lot of energy it took for me to actually get over the the pole. And one time I actually, I got over, I got to the top of it, but it's like, I feel like every time I, I would keep trying and trying and trying and just never giving up. But it's interesting of how much like strength that I think that takes like a lot of strength to get to the top of the telephone pole or practice, um, in the lucid dreaming world. But 
I had so much fun. I was like, okay, who do I want to see right now? Okay. Imagine that's happening in my dream and it's lucid dreaming is so fun. I definitely want to get back into it. So if you guys try that tip, try it for a week, try it for two weeks. If you find that you're still not doing it, try it for the third week and <laughs> just getting into the habit. Am I dreaming right now? Am I dreaming right now? Am I dreaming right now? It worked for me. And I don't know how I even came up with that, but I think it was my guides now looking back on it. It's it's interesting when you can learn things without reading a book. Because back in the day, it's like, where would I find that information? Everything is available on Google now. But like back then, it's like, how how would you... Yeah, you'd have to go to the library. I didn't even know it was called lucid dreaming. So yeah, I feel like we can also be our own teachers. Once we lean into something, we really want to learn and ask questions us and our guides are here. We, we're working together no matter whether you know it or not. So I don't feel like we always need to learn things from a book or from a teacher. I feel like we can also be our own guide 100%. Just want to throw that out there. And if there's something that you're like, you maybe don't resonate with what I said, try something that you might resonate with, or you might have a, a different idea of how you can astral travel or lucid dream and work with your guides too. So today we talk about lucid dreaming, we talk about astral traveling, we talk about how Michael Lennox got into dreams uh, as a younger child, we talk about his experience in the dream world, we talk about dream symbols and what to look out for and what certain meanings of dreams can mean. Michael Lennox also breaks down one of my reoccurring dreams that I've been having my entire life up to like a few months ago and I now I don't have it anymore. So he was able to break that down for me and what what did that mean? What did every part of that dream mean and hey there's a possibility that I will never have that dream ever again. So stay tuned, grab a cup of tea, put some warm fuzzy socks on, light up a nice fall scented winter candle. I have this beautiful candle called Warm and Cozy. It's got orange, cinnamon, and pine. It smells so good. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. All right, today I'm sitting with somebody who is very well known in the spiritual community. I am sitting with Michael Lennox today. Michael is a psychologist, an astrologer, and a dream expert. You may know him from his Red Robe Astrology on Instagram, you may know him from his online astrology school, or you may even know him from his weekly podcast. So let's welcome Michael to the podcast. Hey, Michelle, it's great to be here. Excited and nervous, so thank you for coming. Oh, oh that's adorable. Don't be nervous. Well, no, be nervous. <laughs> I'm in your astrology course at the moment, but it's- Are nice. you really? Oh my God, that's awesome. Yay. It's been awesome. Yeah, I yeah. found you. First, I found you on your podcast, and mm, I found that all astrology has always been kind of confusing for me. So your podcast has been very helpful to like- Thank you. Every, every Monday morning, I listen to your podcast, mm. and it gives me the forecast of the week. So that, and then, but I also like, I like how you, in your podcast, you teach people as well. So that's yeah. been very helpful. Yeah, I'm a teacher at heart. Everything that I do is, you know, has teaching impulse behind it. So uh, I'm delighted. Hey, that you're taking my course and learning from my teaching there, but that you acknowledge that within the podcast, it's my desire to teach. I, I, I want people to learn astrology by listening. So I'm glad that you are. Yes, definitely. 
I have a lot of things to chat about with you today, so I'll kind of jump in. Yay. I would love to start just from the beginning. Like, I know today we're going to be focusing on dreams. Yeah. Dream world is one of the worlds that I like to spend a lot of time. How did you get into dream interpretations? How do you become a dream expert? It really did start in childhood. With that, I had a vibrant imagination. And so dreams were fascinating to me because they were so interesting and wild and that they were intimate. They're happening inside of us, right? So I was captivated by my dream life. The the, I'm going to tell you the full story, which includes the, the show album of Fiddler on the Roof, the Broadway musical. There's a dream sequence in the movie and the Broadway show Fiddler on the Roof. And in the dream, it's a fake dream that the character makes up to convince his wife of something. And in on the album, there's dialogue from the show where he's waking up from a dream. And she says this phrase, tell me what you dreamed and I'll tell you what it meant. And then the whole sequence is about the dream. And then she does tell him what it means. And, you know, he gets his way. But that line was something I heard a thousand times as a kid, because anytime my mother put that particular album on, I heard that line. And then 15 years old, my mom's now getting a master's in social work and the book, Freud's Interpretations of Dreams, shows up on her shelf. I read it because I'm fascinated with dreams. And I don't know what I got you know, from Freud at 15, 16 years old, but I certainly understood that there was value in looking at what dreams might mean. And then just put me in the high school hallway when kids socially are saying to each other, as they do as adults at the around the water cooler at work, I had the craziest dream last night. And I remember going, I said, tell me what you dreamed. I'll tell you what it meant. And I had all of these conversations with friends as a teenager where I just listened to dreams that were told to me. I had something to say back and people were interested in what I had to say. Now, eventually I learned what I was doing and I understood the gift that I had, but it really just started from being in social settings and saying, I think I might be able to get something out of your dream if you tell me what you dream. Mm, okay. Very cool. And that's so true. It's like something we still talk about as an adult. Like Absolutely. I, so common. I love hearing about people's dreams. That's awesome. Everywhere I went for the rest of my life, I became known as the guy who interpreted dreams. So that happened in college. That happened in my professional life when I started working as a young man, even like as a temp in offices when I was trying to make a living as an actor at 24. I would get known as the guy who interpreted dreams. So by the time I was in my late 20s, I had done this enough and had studied a little bit now, right? Now I found workshops and books and things. By the time I was 28 or 29, I did my first workshop interpreting dreams and teaching people about how to work with dreams. Even though I wasn't formally educated, I knew I had a gift and I worked with it and people responded. Then it was much later in my life, in my mid-30s, I decided to go to grad school and learn psychology. I wanted to be educated. I didn't know quite what I wanted to do serving humanity, but I wanted to be in service. I wanted to be in service around spiritual and mystical experiences, including dreams. Astrology came later. But the advanced education in psychology came long after I'd already been sitting with people doing dream interpretation sessions, doing workshops. And then I just guided my entire life in my late 30s to a world where I left the, you know, I left acting a long time ago. And then I caught into the entertainment industry on the business side. And by the time I was in my late 30s, I was Dr. Michael Lennox. I had let go of all work outside of being a spiritual teacher. 
and it very organically sort of just led to being able to do that in the world. I After I got my master's, very briefly, I well, not very briefly, it was two years of my life, but for two years of my life, I worked on a television show called The Dream Team with Annabelle and Michael, where mm-hmm. I was offering dream interpretation in a talk show format. Sci-fi thought they might have had a hit. We shot 65 uh, episodes. It was a big deal. And three months later, the show was canceled. And that was just like the end of it. Bye-bye. <laughs> that moment was key. It was both the most disappointing, difficult thing that had ever happened in my life, but it was the best thing that ever happened in my life. Because working on the show for two years downloaded into my body the idea that I could do this for a living, that I could be in the world of dreams and astrology and spiritual material for a living. And then the cancellation of the show made it important that I figure out how to do that and soon. (laughs) But that was, you know, that was 25 years ago. I love how the dreams was actually where you first started. Oh, yeah. My first love. (laughs) My first. Because, you know, because I hadn't continued to have really beautiful, vivid, vibrant dreams. And they're so amazing. Do you believe that we dream every night? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have to. And if you didn't dream, you would die. There's brain function happening in REM sleep when we're experiencing those vivid storylines that we call dreams. The brain is also processing metabolic waste and forming short-term memory. And if you didn't do those two things, you wouldn't be able to function. And eventually you would die because the metabolic waste in your brain would kill you. Hmm. And it's in REM sleep that we release that metabolic waste. So we are dreaming. The fact is, we just don't always remember them. Some people are wired not to remember them at all, but we are dreaming because we wouldn't function. Many scientists would say nothing, that there's nothing interesting, mystical, or important about it. The brain is just functioning, and there's this random static, lots of imagery that comes as a result. But I have had too many experiences of my own and holding experiences with other people of mystical phenomenon that happens within the dream state. We grow in age and wisdom with every day that we are alive. And we get smarter by what we learn and the memories that we form about what we've learned. But we become wiser because of our dream state, where we go into a place, we practice our struggles, our fears, our terrors, and all of the things that we're frightened of. And then we sort of wake up the next day ready to be a better human being because we've processed some of the deeper conflicts that we experience that are mostly unconscious, but are part of what move our life forward or keep us in resistance and blockage. So I think that when we visit that place and the rational mind that that sort of navigates us but is not helpful to our soulful journey, you know, that mind that says, oh, I look both ways while I cross the street is not going to, you know, support your soul's desires. That's from a much bigger place that I think we then visit in our dream state. We visit our soulful place um, free of the the awfulness of the way our mind limits us in our thinking. And so we're able to have an experience of our intuition, our creative manifestation capacity, and all of the mystery that's connected with being alive and in a body that the mind has to shut off so that we can function allows its quietude in dream state allows us to be in the world of energy and phenomena freely. And I think we benefit from visiting that place you know, with every sleep. 
because you are on the spiritual side of things, I would love to ask you, like, where do you think that our souls go when we dream? Hmm. What a great question. Let me say that I have had enough moments in my life where I've wondered, are we connecting energetically with other people in our dream state in a way that might be similar to what happens in the three-dimensional world, where if I want to connect to you, I might get in my car and drive to where you are, and then we have a visit, mm-hmm. right? That there. So the, I can't say this is what happens, right? And I'm too much of a scientist to be able to stand in my woo-woo thoughts and present them as if that's the way it is. Because, honey, it's a mystery. Nobody <laughs> knows exactly the way it is. Even the people who will talk as if they know exactly how the mystery works are still talking about something that is mysterious, mm-hmm. not knowable. Yeah. So I couldn't know from any kind of a certain place like where the soul resides and does it reside in our body and leave our body when we dream. But I am in the mind of that there's way more mystical possibilities in things like dreaming than we can ever really perceive. And I think the limits of our body that we require to move about in three-dimensional world, when those limits are removed, I think we're in places that our three-dimensional minds couldn't even fathom, but they probably look something like what our spiritual fantasies about them are. Mm -hmm. Like maybe our soul leaves our body and goes visits with other souls. That's a fantasy based Mm -hmm. on sensation that people have that I would be willing to get behind with the 50% of me that thinks mystically. Okay. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. And that, that makes sense. It's always cool, interesting to hear people's different perspective, even though it's, it is a mystery, but I feel like we all have a kind of like an idea of what we believe personally. Yes. Not only do we have an idea of what we believe, we have experiences that inform the mystery to us. Mm-hmm. And then we can use that vocabulary to share and share our ideas. And for me as a teacher, I do, but I never let go of the idea that it's still a mystery. <laughs> right. It's interesting of how many types of dreams that we can have. Like, I wonder, God, like, yes. why do you believe there are so many ways that we can experience dreams, such as astral traveling, lucid dreaming, dream walking, nightmares, mm. and like, prediction dreams, and probably more? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll throw in their visitation dreams, shared dreams. So one thing that I would say in my experience tells me that there's two major camps of dream experiences. And one would be just dreams, the chaotic storylines that happen where we go to six places all at once and everything can happen and probably will. And it's a little kooky and crazy. And uh, some of them are nightmares. I do believe that nightmares want to get our attention. They're, They're important for us to remember. That's why they have such memorability. So all of those experiences that are just the chaotic storylines of dreams are what I will call just sort of standard dreaming. And those dreams reflect our psyches grappling with conflict, unconscious struggles, fears, doubts, and and our soulful expression as human beings. And we can, if we are blessed to remember them and work with them, we can learn more about who we are through those standard dreams. Now, everything that you mentioned and that I added one or two would be 
the mystical dreaming experiences that I think are not at all the same as regular dreams, although that's the world we're in, right? We're in the world of dreams, so we can only perceive through dream-ish imagery. But there are dreams where people who have passed away come and visit. That's not a psyche dream where we're working shit out. That's a dream that a phenomena happens where someone comes and visits. We can have a dream that someone else has that's close to us around the same time. That's just, I've heard so many stories of that working on my new book about <laughs> mystical dreaming that I've never had that experience, but man, the stories are crazy about that. Um, dream walking. I don't have experience with dream walking. That's sort of a first nations sort of idea of like entering the dream state in a conscious way, but, uh, I'm just, because it's not my world. Um, uh, but even lucid dreaming and where lucid dreaming can go all fits under this umbrella for me of mystical phenomena that's natural to the human body that can't be perceived very well when our rational mind is awake. Put that rational mind to sleep and some of the dream experiences we're going to have are going to be connecting us to mystical energetic stuff that happens that's part of that thing we're calling a mystery <laughs> okay awesome and astral traveling have you had any experience with that yourself i haven't and i you know it's funny i my my moniker in the world like my my brand if you will is uh uh, uh dr michael lennox your ambassador to conscious embodiment so I am so much about the body. I have never left it. <laughs> Even in experiences that I've had, like in the last years of my life, never when I was younger, I was asked to do plant medicine 7,000 times in my younger life. And I always said no. It was always a no, 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 until it was a yes. And I've danced in plant medicine a bit in the last, you know, six years or so. And even in those experiences, it's always about the body. I have re-experienced my own birth about 7,000 times through practice and medicine work and whatnot. So my, my soul is very captivated with what it's like to be in a body, learning the body, knowing the body, working well with the body. And the astral experience is the idea that we can that our energetic self can be so lightly tethered to the body that we can stay connected to it, but leave it. And no, I have no experiences of that. Okay. Do you think there's like a common thread of like people that can tap into that easily more easily? Yeah, I do. I do because I've seen it. I've heard, I've talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of people who routinely astral project and leave their body. And they describe what that feels like to them in a way that makes it clear that other people commonly have that experience. And I don't, right? Because the language doesn't match. Lucid dreaming is another thing. The idea of, at the simplest level, lucid dreaming is just being in a dream and being aware that you're dreaming, right? At a fundamental level, that's a lucid dream. But lucid dreaming can also be really rich and juicy and comprehensive in terms of how consciously lucid a person can get in the dream state. And what I've noticed in, golly, 40-something years of hearing dreams is that there are people who just dream lucidly as a character trait. So my thought is, is that all of those qualities of energetic vocabulary can be something that lives in people as a skill that's pre predetermined or pre-installed, if you will. Mm, 
Okay. But I think anything can be developed. Right. With enough practice and all that. I wonder your thoughts on like people that have a difficulty time remembering dreams compared, yeah. to, compared to other people. Yeah. it's. I know it's frustrating for people. I, I've heard that uh, frustration in, in people who want to remember more. It's there's nothing um, about not remembering a dream that is problematic. It's 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 habitual. It's it's a wiring thing. I, I sometimes will use this as an example. This is not. I'm not really doing an accurate job of describing brain chemistry. I'm sort of making this up to make a point, uh, loosely based on some brain stuff that I that I that I know, but I'm not masterful in. We are visual beings. We process and orient ourselves through what we can see. Dreams are very visual. But the part of the brain that is processing the visual imagery in a dream is not the same part of the brain that's processing the visual imagery that comes through our eyes. It's a different section of the brain. So that once we wake up and our eyes open and we are now lighting up the visual part of the brain to see in the room, everything else just gets really quiet because the important thing woke up. And even without that like brain sort of analogy, just the idea that once we fire up into conscious awareness with waking, there's a lot for us to do in our, our brain things. So anything that happened before just becomes irrelevant to the survival of the person who is waking up. So if there's a natural way that some people are aligned to not remember dreams ever and others are aligned to remember dreams always, then it goes back to what we've already established, that there's something predetermined about how someone does or doesn't remember dreams that I think is random. Mm, okay. You know, just some, some people have it, some people don't. When people will ask me, well, I want to remember my dreams more, what can I do? There's like four things to do. One is to create an intention-setting dynamic as you approach sleep, right? So it's not just like that you unconsciously put your head down and turn off the light, uh, but that you think about the sacredness of putting yourself to bed and then you ask with intention or writing a note or a prayer or whatever you want to call it. You set the intention, I will remember my dreams tonight. The second thing you got to do is you got to put something to record your dreams by your bedside. You can't trust that you're going to remember anything by getting up to go to the pad or the recorder, whatever you might want to use. So you make sure you're prepared. Now I'm 60, so I'm going to tell you to write them down with your hand <laughs> and a pencil or a pen, because it's a more visceral connection to our psyche to write than it is to record. But I'd rather have somebody put their phone or the recorder by their bed and record a dream than not. Mm -hmm. But putting the piece there by your bedside is key because you need to have it ready and the access uh, to it immediate. But the most important thing to spark this up, to, to be more organic, is go to the paper or the recorder, even if you haven't remembered anything specifically. Even if what you write is I don't remember any of my dream imagery from last night. Maybe you pause a second to see if anything comes and write it down if it does. That third step is key because it deepens the intentionality that you've created by setting the intention the night before and putting the recording piece near your bed. You complete the intention by 
alerting your unconscious that you really mean it, that you're making space to remember. Um, I have guided people to do this and have them come back to me and said that within a week or two, they were remembering dreams. That's a great tip. With me, I find that sometimes it's so delayed. Like I'll remember my dream as I'm driving around yeah, 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 yeah. lunchtime and I'm like, wait, I jumped with this person. Like it comes back like yeah. hours, hours later. Yeah, that happens all the time. I've had it where I had a dream that became something I thought was just true and then found out later was like, oh, I didn't really have that conversation with my assistant. I dreamed it. It's or I'll like I'll see something. Say I see a raccoon, and I'm like, wait. Oh right, I had a dream about yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I should look at that animal for a spirit animal. Meaning, let's touch on nightmares. Like, sure. As you said earlier, nightmares is something that might be important that you're supposed to be um, focusing on, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, again, this is where like, I mean, thank God I'm not having this conversation with a with a pure scientist. It's like this is the hubris of we learn a little about the brain and then we say scientifically that then everything mystical, therefore, is irrelevant. Um, so I don't think we have any scientific knowledge that says we have nightmares because they're more important for us to remember. But as someone who has sat with thousands of people over many, many, many years, using the material that nightmares brought up to, as you put, focus on an issue or a thought, I think is is valuable. And one of the things that I that I will say in my work or in the course of talking about these things is is that dreams are always for us, never sort of against us. That that they they are telling stories that support our growth and our evolvement. And so, if that dream is a nightmare, and we are going to remember it more because it was scary, and then because our fears and our resistances is more important to focus on than where we are a yes, then the nightmares become important for me as a, as a person who dreams and likes to work on himself and teaches other people to do the same. That looking at the fearful consciousness that the nightmare showed you is going to give you a, an opportunity in that moment to be with the fear that is in there at that moment so that when we do that, we, we can sort of ravel a conflict that's in the unconscious so that we can do a better job of being a human being the next day. Mm -hmm. And so why I say like our yeses don't need any help. It's like, we're just magnificent human beings, you know, filled with energy, capable of creativity where we are stopped by that are our internal fears and places where we just shrink back and say no to ourselves. And if our dream is going to show us a place where we're going to say no, then that's an opportunity to go in and be with that fear a little bit so that it can loosen up and we can have a greater experience. So I do believe that we have nightmares and remember them more readily because they need our attention. Although, again, there ain't no scientific proof of that. When it comes to like having like our dreams, like warning us of something bad that's going to happen, do you uh, more with like nightmares or other dreams? Or I will say this I have heard lots of superstitious people tell me of dreams that they imagined or feared were omens about bad shit that might come mm -hmm. that never did. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So I, I haven't in my, you know, 
45 years of hearing dreams uh, and their outcome. I haven't heard that experience where someone had a dream and it was a warning and they needed to like pay attention to it. Do you know what I have bumped into thousands of times? Superstitious, frightened people who will use superstitions to back up their fears and then have a dream and go, oh my God, what is this? this is a warning. It's like, what if it isn't? Okay. That's, what if it isn't? <laughs> that's comforting to know that usually it doesn't happen from your experience. Correct. I had a listener question. Um, they were asking, like, how do you suggest shaking off energy after waking up from a negative dream or like a heavy dream? Oh, you know, it's so funny. I literally got that. I got asked that by a friend of mine just like a, a week or two ago. And my answer at that moment, I'm going to give the same answer here. Breath. How we breathe is a direct reflection of the body's sort of uh, fitness in a given moment. I don't mean fitness like muscles. I mean fitness as in comfort, alignment, centeredness, right? No, no, no anxiety making muscles tense and grip. And so the breath and the body's sort of state are reflections of each other. Like you get anxious. The first thing you're going to do is stop breathing. Right? That's what happens. The diaphragm sort of tightens and uh, breathing gets really shallow. Other physiological things happen as well. But the breath is the most direct reflector of a tense system or tense body. And so if you want fast regulation possibility of getting yourself back to center, uh, it can't not include the breath. Imagine I said, well, exercise, run around the block. What would that be doing? That would be getting your breath moving and going, right? So uh, I would add to that that anything that's grounding or 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 reminding the body that it's in a body, right? So stomping your feet and doing some yogic breath of fire would be my go-to for anybody who wants to regulate a dysregulated system fast. Great tip. This actually came up. I actually experienced this like a couple of days ago. You know, I had a dream that like something bad happened with my partner and I. So I woke up and I was like angry at him. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm sorry for what I did in the dream state, but I'm just like, oh, it took it took me a while to shake it off because I was like, those it emotions can. they come up and they feel so real. Well, and those feelings, those chemicals that are generating a felt sensation in you, they are as real as real is real. Mm -hmm. Now, the impulse that created them that generated the negative thoughts that are creating the chemical reaction to those thoughts um, was not real. That mm -hmm. happened in a dream. But the the experience of the feelings is bona fide. There, there they are in your body, rippling mm -hmm. through. Yeah, it took a while to shake it, it off. Think of it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, and there was another listener question. I post up like a, a poll on Instagram. like. Sweet. Back when, um, okay, so somebody was asking, do you believe dreams that come to fruition at a later date is a premonition? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we call them precognitive dreams. Um, premonition dreams would be just as accurate. First of all, we're all intuitive and we are all experiencing energetic awarenesses before the moment arises. I mean, that's just something. That, that it's it's we're not as separate from each other and we're not as separate from the next bunch of moments as we experience that we are. <clears throat> the thing that keeps us from hearing that intuitive guidance that I think all human beings have, and of course, some people have this developed better so they don't 
they don't, you know, they're, 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 they're more organically hearing that intuitive voice. But for those who don't, the waking mind voice is what interferes with being able to feel and hear the voice of intuition. And so because that voice is asleep when we are asleep, it stands to reason that we are more available for information that comes from what we would call the fourth dimension, because we can connect to that dimension in dreams. So if we are in bodies in three-dimensional space, the fourth dimension would be where time doesn't exist, but it's still us, right? Mm -hmm. So the four-dimensional experience of us doesn't get limited by what hasn't happened yet in time. So a person who's like a good intuitive psychic has an ability to sort of channel up into another dimension where time doesn't exist and feel into the potential of events that haven't yet occurred, which we can all do when we're in the dream state and the rational mind is quiet. So I think that it is common for people to have dream experiences that show up in their waking life from a couple of days later to a week or two after. And I will say this, I don't know if it's just that I'm hearing from more people as I grow in, you know, the followings of people who know me, but it does seem like more and more and more people and more and more younger people are routinely experiencing precognitive ex uh, dreams uh, as a regular function of dreaming. I think it's happening more. It makes me wonder too, like for the people that do experience those dreams, like are they, do they tend to be a little bit like not more psychic, but like developing psych their psychic abilities or maybe a more of an active third eye? You know, that's possible. I can't answer with clarity about that because it's not something I've looked at or considered. Mm -hmm. um, but though it, it certainly makes some sense that people who can do that well in dreams might also be able to do that well in life. And I will also say that, that, you know, that sort of on the other side of this question is, is that I do believe that if someone in their waking life practices any form of mind quieting, any form of meditation that quiets the mind will have a greater experience of intuitive dreams in their sleep. Mm -hmm. That just practicing quieting the mind will open up the intuitive mind. I like that. That's a good reminder. Hmm. Spirit visitations. I know you touched on it a little bit, but do you believe that it's a real experience? Like that there is a past loved one that is there visiting you and it's easier for them to like enter into your space in the dream world? Absolutely. When you start hearing an experience from people and it's particular, and I'll, I'll give you the experience before I continue saying, making my point. The experience is that someone has passed away is in the dream, mm -hmm. that the dream is not a chaotic dream where a lot is happening, that the dream is in a singular setting, very often even the room in which the dreamer is sleeping. Another popular one is benches. I don't know, a lot of benches in these dreams, people sitting on benches. And that there's usually no dialogue or interaction. If there is any words spoken, it's usually simple, like all is well, or I love you. And almost always, it's a felt experience of all is well, or I love you, not a verbal one. So that, what I just described you is like, say how the first person who ever described a visitation dream to me described it. And the second, 
and the third and the 56th and the 157th and the 2658th and the 17,652nd. Every person who has ever described a visitation dream has described that. Wow. Right there is empirical data. Mm -hmm. Right. No control group because it's just me perceiving and it's anecdotal because I'm just telling it to you. No journal would publish this. But right there is enough information for me to to confidently say there's an experience that happens at night when the rational mind is asleep and we are in that place, in that four dimensional place where time doesn't exist, that people who have passed can visit. And how you know is just what I described. Singular mm -hmm. setting, singular conveyance, often nonverbal. And I'll add the last piece that is really the, the linchpin of belief is how these dreams make people feel. Mm. I've yeah. spoken to people where dreams of this nature changed their lives mm -hmm. because they got woken up. It was way bigger than the loss. Wow. Just from having an experience that they could not shake the bona fide of the experience, like something happened. And then it doesn't matter what other people believe or, or who might dismiss such an account. The person who has had that experience will say to you, nope, sorry, can't, not interested in you thinking it wasn't because I know what it felt like. True. It's like when it happens to you, you yeah, know. When it happens, oh. you know. Yeah. Yeah. When when it happens, you know. I haven't had a visitation dream experience, but I've heard the similar things as you said. It was just it's very simple. I um, have not either. No. There are so many dream experiences that I have not had. It is sort of a wonder that I've devoted my life to talking about them and teaching about them, but I'm a very vanilla dreamer. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Vivid, <laughs> avid, and I work with them like crazy, but you know, I have an astral projected. I have never been visited. I have had two lucid dreams and I've had enough dream mystical experiences to like, you know, fill a book, but not, not some of those wonderful things like visits and shared dreams. Mm, okay. Is there one type of dream that you really want to experience that you haven't experienced yet? Hmm. That I haven't experienced. Well, I think I would certainly listen. I, I was going to say, I'd love to have a visitation dream, but like, I don't want anybody to leave so I can have a visitation dream. And the important people who have left so far who haven't visited, it's like, I don't, I don't need that to happen. You know, I had, I don't know if you're going to be asking me about lucid dreams, but I will tell you, uh, if you don't mind me inserting yeah. my will here, because I would have one more of these. I'd pay for this. Like if I could pay money for this. All right, let's hear. I've it. had I have had two lucid first the lucid dreams of the you know the 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 low variety like I, oh I'm dreaming I've had uh, I've had some dreams too of movement where it's like I'm just flowing in movement and then I get lucid I'm like oh I'm lucid and I can change the movement left or right in the world of lucid dreaming one night I had a dream I was dreaming that I was in my living room sitting on my couch it was daytime. I was as awake as I am now. Like 100% as awake as I am now, only I knew I was dreaming and I knew I was dreaming in my bedroom. And the whole dream was just me in my living room going, going oh my God, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. I'm fully awake and I'm sleeping in the bedroom right there. 
But that experience blew my mind because uh, of how vivid and real it was. About two years later, I had another similarly as awake as I am now dream, with one exception. It had sepia tone. Everything was brownish, like dimmed light. Pretty. It was warm. It was lovely. It was not a creepy thing, but it wasn't sunlight. But outside of the diminished light, I was as awake as I am right now, only I was in a park and I went up to a bench, a picnic bench. There were five other men, I believe, sitting around the bench. And I just walked up and I said, guys, do you know that we're dreaming? And they were all like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I absolutely believe that there are five other people, including me, who had a dream five or six years ago about being at a park bench or a picnic bench. Oh, wow. That's so As cool. a lucid experience. No, I, I, nothing would shake me that that experience did not involve those people that were there. I, I believe it with my, with my body. That is awesome. I've heard about like being in a dream state or lucid dreaming or astral traveling, and then you're connecting with other people and yeah. it's like that connection. I haven't had I, that. I have to believe, Michelle, that that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm connecting in some powerful way and why not the person that I'm connecting with in the dream state also be connected to a body where they are sleeping? Mm-hmm. have to believe that. Yeah. That's why I wonder, like, where does our soul go when we sleep? I feel like we're just, like, wandering the streets. (laughs) Well, it begs also the question, is it somewhere different when we're awake? Is our soul limited to our body? Are we always a little bit bigger than the body? You know, these are Mm -hmm. are fascinating questions. Yeah, definitely. Okay, when it comes to reoccurring dreams, this one Mm. always is so, I'm so curious about. Why do you think we have reoccurring dreams for, like, years and years and years through our entire life? We have the same dream. It's a very unsexy answer. Okay. First of all, let me say there are two kinds of recurring dreams. And the one you're talking about is the lifelong over and over recurring dream. And almost everybody that you speak to who has this will say it's the same dream every time, right? And being someone who listens to dreams from people, uh, 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 you know, this one has the tsunami dream. This one has the zombie apocalypse dream. This one has the being chased dream. This one, you know, has the, you know, teeth falling out dream. Yeah. All of those dreams are stress dreams and they come when the body is in some stress. And it's just like the idea of visiting the nose and the limitations and the fear. When we're stressed by going into the dream state and being stressed, we wake up able to be with stress in our waking life. So say the dream image that is good for me, you know, uh, um, is the zombies are after me. You know, uh, if you are under 40, you're dreaming of zombies because of video games and zombies and media and zombies. Like, I don't dream of zombies, honey, because I'm 60. There were no zombies when I was a young person in the way that, you know, people who are, you know, in their 20s, 30s. So you fixate on an image that matches an idea of stress and that dream will come every time there's a work stress or a relational stress or a life on life's terms stress. The brain says, okay, Michelle's in trouble. Let's get her that dream of teeth falling out because she's feeling insecure. And that's an insecurity kind of dream. 
And every time you feel some insecurity, that dream will allow you to practice the insecurity experience to wake up on a Wednesday after having the dream on a Tuesday night better at facing something. So whatever the vocabulary is, whether it's a tsunami or a guy with a gun, if that's you listeners, when you have such a dream, what to do? is to look at your waking life. What might be the most stress-inducing occurrence or relationship or thought form probably needs your attention because the body is saying, hey, we're stressed. Let's a little help, little help over here. Now, there's another kind of recurring dream that can come, but these aren't that repeated, simple, stressful recurring images. This might be something that happens within the course of a year or so where an image will come up. I worked with a woman years ago who was, uh, she had with a great deal of courage, pulled herself out of a marriage on the East coast and drove to the West coast to an unknown life. You know, and she like literally went like, I got to get out of here. Let's just go West and see. Well, for a year, she had dreams of driving. Right. As she was processing the shift from her old life to the new life, the image of driving, which was in her waking life body, is what got her from the east to the west, showed up as a recurring theme for, you know, a year or more. And that I hear of a lot, but that's a different thing. That's a theme that someone's working through that might be understandable based on the images that are there. That's a little more sexy than the, you know, zombie dream being just uh, like, oh, she's frightened again. Let's give her this dream so she can be better at stress the next day. Do you find that you say we'll be better the next day? Do you feel like in the dream we're actually working through that stress? Or yeah, we- absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I think we are literally working through the theme or the feeling of a stress with the dream imagery. And who knows what's happening in the unconscious? We could be, you know, very directly, literally working on. I keep saying literally. I hate that. Um, but I, 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 I do. I have felt this in my own life, and I've seen it play out. Where, as a result of paying attention to a, a dream that came up at a particular time, that someone would have a shift and a change, and uh, in how they were perceiving, you know, a stressful occurrence. So I do think we're working on stuff very specifically. When we wake up in the morning, do you think there's any more work we have to do regarding that dream or just noticing that that's we a, have it? That is such a great question. And I really want to drive this point home. Everything that I'm saying about the power of dreams and what they do for us is happening, whether we pay attention or remember the dreams or not. Right. That's really important for me to convey because I would never want someone listening to think, oh, I don't remember my dreams that much. Therefore, I must not be getting the advantage of this process. But that is not, that couldn't be further from the truth. <clears throat> so there are, though, I think, sort of hierarchies to working with dreams. And one is just the idea that if we remember a dream, it has more value to us. Mm-hmm. If we make an effort to record that dream, that takes it to a higher level. We're now grounding the imagery in by writing it down, describing it to ourselves as a permanent record in our three-dimensional waking life that ups the ante a little bit. 
I believe sharing a dream with a friend ups the ante even more. Just the act of sharing your insides with another person, that's intimacy. That grows all of our sort of humanity. And it why not have that be the case when you share a dream? The dream, after all, is intimately inside of you. And if you share it with somebody else, you're literally, literally, there it is again. Oh, my God, I'm going to have to put a quarter jar on my desk. In in that experience, you are opening yourself up and sharing something that's intimate inside of you with another, right? I think that helps. Spending time ruminating, marinating, writing about what it might mean, even more so. And the piece de resistance is being creative in response to a dream. This is the biggest dream work I ever do with clients is draw it, write a poem about it, you know. Do a dance in your underwear around the living room in the spirit of the dream, right? The the unconscious mind does not in, express itself in rationality. It's a land of symbols. That's why dreams are symbolic in nature. There is there's no linear words down there. And so if we respond to the unconscious's sort of delivery of some imagery to us with imagery back, now we're speaking the language of the unconscious and the unconscious will respond. And I think that sets up a dynamic of dreamer and dream and the conversation between the dreamer and their dreams as richer because they are consistently telling their unconscious mind they're interested in what's being expressed. And because you mentioned symbols, is there any specific symbols that we should like look out for or are they different depending on everybody? Well, in my world, they're the same because of universality. Like that's the idea of that people can have uh, different people can have the dream of a singular image and they're likely to be feeling into the same thing because of, of the principle of universality. So what I mean by that is, is that, you know, like, yeah, I've got a cup here with some water in it. Uh, it, it contains something that I need for living, like the elixir of life, right? So then the meaning or the interpretation of cup or glass would have something to do with my capacity to draw to me that which I need to sustain, right? Okay. So anybody could come up with that definition of a cup if they were invited to think what's the most fundamental thing about this that everyone would agree upon mm -hmm. so then you've got a symbol that means the containment of something i draw towards me as a universal idea as opposed to something more personal which would be well that cup's not made out of glass i don't like glass cups so therefore the dream must be about me not liking the thing that i'm drawing towards me right there's a fundamental universality that we can speak into that um, that uh, I think is a language. And I think I know that language. I think it's one of the reasons why I interpret dreams so effectively is because I'm not projecting my own stuff onto someone else's dream. And I'm going towards this universal meaning that I just have a good mind to grapple with and go to quickly. Mm -hmm. In terms of... Um, you know, certainly basic themes or symbols to consider, you know, uh, there's a handful that are so common in dreams that I'll mention them here. If you if your dream takes place at night, you're in shadow territory. So you're in places that are typically hidden. So nighttime, nightmares, scariness, woods, anything that's hidden, you're in what we call shadow. You're looking at things that are typically not available for our conscious awareness. Water in dreams is about our emotional life. 
right? We leak water when we get emotional through the inexplicable tears that we, you know, shed, um, that we still don't really know why that happens. So water is emotions. Mm-hmm. Houses and homes means you're in a dream reflecting the self. We live in homes. So there's a, uh, it's one of the most common places for dreams to take place is like a house. And it's usually like, ah, it was a house. It was my house. It didn't look like my house, but I knew it to be my house. Or, you know, or it was a house that I know I've never been in. Like any of those qualifiers might be describing what the dream is about, but it's going to be about your sense of self. Right there are sort of three basic categories of commonly occurring symbols to consider water is emotions, houses are self, and nighttime is shadow. How can people learn more about the symbols? Like, is this something that they would just tune in on their own? Or is it because I know there's so many books out there. There's Google. You can. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me let me start by saying this. It's your dream. You can't be wrong. Okay. That's the most important thing to say. Now, that's not to say that you might not have a dream where you have a really good sense of what you might interpret based on what it feels like, what your personal associations were. If you came to me, I would therefore have the permission to give my perspective. And if I did, it would be universal. It wouldn't be like, oh, you missed this, or I feel that, or here's what it'd be if it was my dream. It's just something that I can do. And you might go, oh, wow. That's really interesting. And then we'd be in a thing where you were getting something from what I was offering. Or you might go, I don't resonate with that. And then you know what? It's done. It's your dream. Right? So I also think that what you're led to as a tool counts. Meaning, if you're somebody who wants to work with a dream dictionary, work with a dream dictionary. I wrote one. I believe in them. Right? But what if you have mine? Or someone else's. There's sacredness to that. Like the dream interpretation tool a person gets led to counts because we are the guardians of our own soul. And I'll tell you one little quick story that sort of drives this point home. I was texted by a woman uh, that I was going to see later that day at a social setting. And she texted me, oh my God, I had the wildest dream. Are you going? I want to be able to process the dream with you. Yes, I'll see you there. I don't remember the content of the dream, but it had a skunk in it. She went to a dream dictionary online and she got information that somehow skunk connected to sexuality. And then she came to me an hour or two later and we processed the dream together with that information that she had gone to that that online dictionary that gave her skunk as connected to sexual energy. Now, I wouldn't go to sexual energy with skunk ever. Because it, where? Where is that in the idea of skunk? What do we know about skunk that's universal? They they secrete this very smelly musk um, as a part of their expression. When do they do that? When they are afraid. Okay? So universal meaning of skunk has to have something to do with fear and a fear response that tries to push other people away. So this woman is someone who grapples profoundly with sexual shame and fear around sexuality. So her dream 
went and there she goes to a place where she gets sex and sexuality as something she must consider because she found that information. And then she brought that to me. I was able to incorporate the whole bit into a dream interpretation that worked that I would not have thought of in, in my own universal thinking about skunk, but I can't dismiss it. Imagine if I run around telling people, oh, that's not what your dream means. That would be horrible. I'm not the arbiter of what your dream means. I'm just the container that helps you reflect what it might mean. And okay. because I'm good at it, most of the time when I do that, people go, oh my God, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that I am in charge of what is true. And this to me is a perfect story of I would never have gone there, but she did. I included it. And she had a perfect interpretation of that dream, which included shame and fear around her sexual impulses. I like how it gives us that that story gives us like a little bit of power, right? Of not doubting ourselves because that's right. We might not know what every detail of the dream really that's meant, correct. But we might get the over idea. The overall And the idea is to be in an engaged conversation with yourself about yourself, not did you get it right? Right. A couple more questions before we finish up. Do you believe that drinking alcohol or consuming cannabis before sleep affects your dream state? Oh, much. A thousand percent. One thousand percent. A thousand percent. Worse or the, the better? Oh, absolutely worse. <laughs> uh, absolutely. First of all, the deeper we sleep, the more vivid our REM uh, dream experience is going to be, right? Deep, relaxing sleep allows us to have a, a richer experience of our dreams. Alcohol impairs the depth and the quality of sleep. So that's that's where alcohol plays in. You're not going to sleep as well when you drink. You're therefore not going to dream as deeply or sleep as restfully. Um, it's also poison. Mm -hmm. I'm just, just saying. Now, cannabis might, I mean, I've heard people report to me that when they use cannabis, their dreams get more vivid. But my experience, because I am a cannabis user and I've not always been, I have an addict personality. I've spent much of my life clean and sober and I have a relationship with cannabis. I'm not ashamed of that now. And that's uh, uh, a whole other conversation um, uh, about how and why I made that choice. Regular cannabis use can dampen dream memory. Okay. So now I'm at a place in my life where I'm okay with that because I don't work with every dream that I have. And so, so I work with the dreams that grab my attention, right? So personally, I can work with this because the dream that needs my attention gets my attention. But if you're smoking a lot of cannabis before sleep, you're going to remember your dreams less directly and effectively. Okay. That's important to know. Because I find that I'll do it occasionally, but because of sleep, right? You sleep that much better. So yes. I think people understand like, oh, if you're sleeping much better, you must be like being able to enter dreams a lot easier. I would bet that in the dream experience, could the person who has smoked a bit of cannabis remember it? <laughs> That the dream is probably rich and vibrant and extra colorful, but then you wake up in the morning with that fog from the cannabis the night before, and the memory is just not as acute. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, let's do a quick rapid fire, unless you have time for a mini interpretation dream. Oh, let, let, let us do an interpretation, and then let's do the okay. rapid fire. I'd love to do an interpretation. 
Okay, great. <laughs> okay, so it's one of mine. It's a Yay. recurring dream. I yeah, I've had it my whole life. So it's a recurring dream that all of a sudden um I'm pregnant and I but I don't have a big belly. Like I don't know that I'm pregnant, but I'm all of a sudden I'm going into labor. It's like that panic of like rushing to the hospital, a panic of like not having anything prepared, no diapers, no baby clothes, yeah, no yeah. crib. But that's funny because it's like one of my fears in in waking life is like going through that birth process of like having a child. So I'm like, is that because I'm like nervous of it in my real life? But I keep having this recurring dream. But in every dream, the baby's never born. So it's just uh, like the before um, madness. But the <laughs> last time I had this dream, the baby was born. But it wasn't at the hospital. It was like at my house and I was the only one around and I actually delivered it myself. And um, since that, I haven't had this dream. I got news for you, honey. You might not have it again. It evolved. Yeah. Like that idea that the last time you had the dream, the baby was born after having it many, 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 many times, not getting anywhere close to that. That's really interesting to me. Yeah. So let's start obviously with the dream interpretation of pregnant as new possibility, right? That's it's new possibility, new life, new birth, new idea, new project, new direction, new anything. So I'm getting from what you said that you don't know you're pregnant until suddenly you're in labor. Is that that what it is? It's like yes. uh oh is coming. Right. Yeah. Okay. So on the pure stress level, that's just reflecting I'm not prepared for my life, right? Like that, you know, there's like I've been thinking about my own life right now here, you know, about all the freaking work I have to do, you know, for the rest of the year. Every once in a while I'll have a panic of, oh my God, I'm not prepared for. Right. So anytime you're feeling not prepared, this dream is probably going to come up. Now, if you have a sort of waking life, um, like fear of what it will be to push a baby through your body. Um, first of all, I'm with you there, honey. Like if I were a woman, I I don't know, I'd be panicked myself. I mean, I probably would have done it <laughs> just because, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I imagine that if you have that feeling as a grown ass woman, it probably came from a moment as a girl learning about what that is, that is an inevitability of having a child and just formulating. Let's say you learned that at seven years old, right? I'm making that up. I don't know when you learn. like being introduced to an idea of, oh my God, a baby's going to have to come through me. That must hurt and be scary. Then it lands in you as just an idea about birth. That's I think natural to have, right? But the psyche likes it. The psyche likes the fear of the image because you keep having it. So the psyche has made a decision at some point that when you're stressed about, are you prepared for whatever life is throwing you, this dream will come because it's a good match for a certain kind of, I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared. I'm panicked. I'm rushing because there's no baby uh, in, in most of these dreams. I, I wonder if you don't have this dream sometimes when you get ideas that are bubbling up from the unconscious about trying new things that scare and overwhelm you. 
um, you would have to like be paying really close attention to like what was going on in your waking life when you had this dream. But the fact that you have evolved this dream to include a birth, and that's a whole different landscape. You've got a dreams that are about ideas that don't come to form that you're anxious about being ready for. Mm-hmm. So that to me is a dream of like, well, I'm going to let that happen because I'm not ready. And yet now you're in a place of, well, I don't feel ready, but I'm going to let it happen because here's the baby. Do you see the difference that I'm sort of going with? In a dream where there's no baby, it's just about fear and anticipation. Okay. Because there's no baby. Yeah. I'm afraid of what I'm going to have to do. Am I prepared? Well, now it's kind of like, sweetie, whether you're prepared or not, (laughs) you got a baby. That's a very different, same dream, same theme, only it's now evolved to say, ah, I now am, and maybe this is just in your growth, in your readiness, in your, uh, you know, whatever age you're at and your, your psychic development, you're more ready to birth ideas, even the ones you don't feel prepared for because you're ready to be a more vibrant person in the world who births ideas and makes them happen. Mm-hmm. But okay. I would not be surprised if you stopped having that as a recurring dream or that it doesn't shift to where you now start having as a recurring dream where there's a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I see it as an evolution of you. Wow. Yeah, that's it's beautiful to think of it that way as well, because I found that interesting. I'm like, it's, it was born and I haven't had the dream yet. Like, that means something, I think. I, I think so, too. Yeah. And it's interesting that like, you know, I'll have this dream, but I will just dismiss it as like, well, that's my fear of that I'm wake that I have like on my waking day. Like, it's interesting <laughs> the way that your dreams show you your dream. It's not. Yeah, they ha- it has to thing. be more specific than that. It can't just be like a uh, random, like that your psyche will just randomly bring you to that fearful place that the dream matches. I do think there has to be something triggering it in our waking life. So is that, is that, have you heard of that before? Like people having that dream and it's evolved and then they stop having oh, it? Oh God, yes, absolutely. That's why I say it. Absolutely. That um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 we are working things out in our dreams. And then when something evolves to a new shape and form, very often the working out has completed itself. Thank you so much. That really makes sense. Yeah. I love it. Let's do some rapid fire before we finish. All right. Yeah, let's, have, let's do it. <laughs> Question number one, uh, what is your sun, moon, and rising? Oh, okay. Leo, sun, Sagittarius, rising, Libra, moon. What day is your birthday? August 23rd, 1963. Okay, okay. My dad's Very last hours of, uh, people are always saying, well, aren't you a Virgo? It's like, no, the the sun sign doesn't change on the calendar. (laughs) (laughs) I was born in the late afternoon uh, in upstate New York, and four hours later, two, three, four hours later, the sun would have been in Virgo. Okay, I only ask because my dad's a Leo, and I'm like that, and his name is Michael, and that would oh! be weird if you guys had the exact same birthday. That would be weird. Okay, if you can and incarnate as any animal, which one would you choose, and why? <laughs> That's a broad choice. I would say when I've thought about like what animal, I I know this, you know, from like what dog are you? Like a Jack Russell Terrier, small, scrappy, really smart, and likes to perform. <laughs> okay. All right. What is your wildest dream experience? I think the wildest dream experience I ever had was actually the night that Princess Diana was killed. 
because I think it, it connects to that, that there was this, you know, disturbance in the force and, and I was sleeping and I had not a dream, but a dream experience where I met a guide of mine that was very beautiful, very feminine, you know, like a boat on a lake. And she said to me, this is the only time we're ever going to meet. I'm never going to be able to be with you in this way, but I'm here and like, I love you. Very profound experience. And then as I grew later in life and learned about how my guides work in an inner way, which I didn't then, uh, uh, indeed, I know who exactly who she is in my guidance system. And I love the idea that I believe that it happened. Like she doesn't have a lot of vibe. Like she doesn't have a lot of power. Uh, uh, she's most important guide in my system. She sits at the top, but she's not a powerful guide. Uh, um, I know this is not a rapid fire answer. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> But but she's the one at the top of the pyramid of my guidance system. But she doesn't have enough vibrational energy to have come to me in any other way. I think she could because of this event, ripping the fabric of life open with that public death that did sort of, you know, rip the world for a little bit, that that was why she was able to have that experience. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Wow. Oh, that's okay. If it's some of them aren't rapid, that's all good. <laughs> I'm like, that's a big question for it to be. It is. It is a big one. <laughs> okay. Do you have a recurring dream that you experience? I do. I haven't had it in a while, but I, it is of me looking at myself in the mirror and I have very beautiful, very full, long blonde hair, a la Farrah Fawcett. Mm, okay. from the 70s and i make child of the 70s it's very strange dream to me i wonder if it's like past life stuff I, you know i've thought about it in a lot of ways is it past life is it about feminine principle that lives in me uh and i've never quite known and i haven't ever felt like i gotta dig this in and find out it's just like okay here's a dream don't really know what it means but there it is what is your favorite crystal Ooh. I guess I'd have to say kyanite. Kyanite is a blue crystal that has a high vibration, supposed to allow us to go to very high vibrational places. And it's the only crystal that I ever made a piece of jewelry out of. And I have a few pieces of it, kyanite. It's really beautiful. Well, yeah, I have a lot of kyanite as well. It seems to be more like on the rougher end of crystals. Yeah, it is rougher and it is striated. And yeah, I like it. Yeah. Okay. Tea or coffee? Coffee. <laughs> coffee. All right. Coffee. All the way. Um, your favorite comfort food? Peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> Just on a spoon or on a bread? No, I mean, I will tell you that I eat it in lots of forms. And yes, I do and will pull out the jars in a spoon and dip and dip. I Yes. So yes. <laughs> uh, 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 I've never had peanut butter and jelly on a banana, mostly just peanut butter on a banana. These days it's mostly toast because I, I don't want a whole sandwich. I want a snack. So I don't want two pieces of bread and, and it has to have a lot of peanut butter and jelly. It's not like a little, like it was a little scrappy that's not that's not right there should be full but when i was a kid and then my most sort of depressed in my adolescence every afternoon there was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich uh uh, uh as comfort and so <laughs> it's still a comfort food of mine today well it hasn't gone away at all no nope, not at all <laughs> had okay. some yesterday we'll um, probably have some today um uh, okay i don't know if you've seen an episode of the bachelorette i never have 
but I have to ask this question because it's my favorite show. They <laughs> first night they have a limo of like say thirty girls, and they have one bachelor. But yeah. they all come out of the limo and take turns. So they all have like 30 seconds to make an impression and introduce themselves. So sometimes they'll show up on a horse. Sometimes they'll wear a funny costume. Oh, my you know, God. Like, Are you going to ask me what I would do? What would you do? But with Oh, the- my God. I, well, I'll answer the question. I would sing. Okay, beautiful. I would sing. I I, I like to sing. I have a uh, have a, uh, a, a, a beautiful voice, a professional singer. Oh, okay. My boy can sing. I can sing. Oh, okay. Um, and I've certainly had the fantasy that, like, you know, like uh, as a siren, that I would sing and and somebody would fall in love with me. It's never happened. It's never gonna happen. But that would be my answer. Beautiful. Would we be able to get a little preview of that? <laughs> <laughs> it's very clear our love is here to stay. Not for a year, but ever and a day. And I would finish. Wow. <laughs> I love it. Okay. That is that beats all of the ones, the answers that I've heard. Ah! <laughs> I love it. What is the best prank that somebody's played on you or that you have played on them? Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm not a fan of the prank. Okay. No prank. And I don't know that I've been pranked. I can't even think of. Yeah. No. Sorry, not a pranker. <laughs> That's all right. Just two questions left. Do you have a favorite ritual of the day that you do every day? Well, I do I do love the first sort of hour of my day. And I do the exact sort of same thing every morning, right? And I'm up at around 4, 4.30. So it's dark. Everyone's asleep. So even just moving through the order of like water and then supplements and then, uh, you know, a little apple cider vinegar followed by, I make sure the coffee is poured before I have the vinegar because that tastes awful. And so, yeah, my morning ritual is the sort of the same approach to how I greet every day. And I love the morning hours when everyone's asleep and I'm up. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's so peaceful at that time. And the world just seems so quiet. Quiet. (laughs) All right. Last question is, what inspires you the most? Wow. It's such a big question. (laughs) Okay, I'll say this. Because so much of my work is teaching, um, watching people grow, witnessing change. I really love that. Well, I've enjoyed today so much. Thank Yay, you for being generous time and sharing your beautiful singing voice with us. How can people find you? How can people work with you? How can people learn from you? Best way is just to go to my website, michaellennox.com. And there you can find my social media presence. You found me on Instagram. I'm on social media, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. I'm doing, you know, daily videos from astrology, the pie, everything that I do, you can find there. I teach process classes of self-investigation and shadow work. I teach astrology. There's the astrology school is growing. We're putting more stuff uh, uh, next year. Um, and even like how to follow me on TikTok or Instagram, you can find on michaelinux.com. So it's the best place to go. And and I'll say this, even though it's like it doesn't come out for about another couple of months. On January 8th, I have a new book coming out called Psychic Dreamer, exploring the relationship between dreams and intuition. 
So everything we've been talking about, I've written a book on, and it's coming out in uh, uh, the second week of January. Perfect. Can people pre-order before January? I would encourage anybody who's interested in what I do is to go to michaelenix.com and just get on my mailing list because I put out announcements of everything I do. And then when the book comes out, if you're on my mailing list, you won't miss the announcements. Awesome. And and when your astrology course ends, are you going to be running it again? Well, that course is forever, right? It's being offered live now, but it becomes a forever recorded course. So everything that I teach in astrology is designed to be available forever Mm -hmm. so that I can just keep offering new and new and new and new rather than having to cycle back in and teach people how to learn their charts. So the course that you're taking is that very comprehensive course rather than offer it again. It's just going to be available via recording. Um, forever. And then what that allows me to do is while we move into next year to just start teaching transits and, you know, getting people to advance in astrology. Okay. That's awesome. That's good to know. Okay. So I'll link all your um, information in the show notes below. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. (laughs) 